order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Dennis Skinner. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I know that members across the House will have been appalled by last night's cowardly terrorist attack in New York. Our thoughts are with all those affected, and we stand united with the people of New York. Mr Speaker, members on both sides of the House have been deeply concerned about allegations of harassment and mistreatment here in Westminster. This demands a response, and that is why my right honourable friend, the Leader of the House, has been meeting with her counterparts, and we are hopeful that all sides can work together quickly to resolve this. And I have written to all party leaders, inviting them to a meeting early next week so we can discuss a common, transparent, independent grievance procedure for all those working in Parliament. We have a duty to ensure that everyone coming here to contribute to public life is treated with respect. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Dennis Skinner. Is the uh, Prime Minister aware there has been some very powerful research done on the question of high-speed rail? What it says is that in the leafy suburbs of the South, the first 140 miles, 30% of it has been dedicated to tunnelling to avoid knocking houses down. Yet in the North, we are now told that the percentage is only 2% for the whole of the North. Why? Because HS2 says it's too costly. Knock the houses down. Will she arrange for a meeting with people from my area in order to avoid another 30 houses being knocked down in Newton, part of Bolsover? And isn't it high time that this government stopped treating our people like second-class citizens? Can I say to the honourable gentleman that I'm sure the Department of Transport, I'm sure the Department of Transport will be happy to look into the uh, question that he has raised. But of course, HS2. The uh, reason why we're doing HS2 is that it is important to increase the capacity of the railway lines going through to the north. This will be a very important contribution to the United Kingdom economy. And I can assure him, if he looks at everything that this government has done, with the Northern Powerhouse, the Midlands Engine, the... The significant, the significant investment across in infrastructure across all parts of the country. This is a government that wants to ensure this is a country that works for everyone. Ms. Ratgani. I want to join the Prime Minister and add that my thoughts, along with Wilden's, are with New Yorkers. The shocking scenes in New York will have brought back awful memories of terrorist attacks here. And as we degrade and destroy Daesh, at its base, it will export its death cult ideology. Will my right honourable friend urge our international partners to join with us in delivering the recent UN resolution to investigate and prosecute Daesh terrorists so we can hold them to account for their vile crimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, well, my, my honourable friend raises a very important point, and it is important that we ensure that we have a complete response to this issue of the threat of terrorism. That does involve dealing with the problem at source. It does also deal, involve dealing with terrorism wherever it occurs. But our message is very clear that our values will prevail, that the terrorists will not win. 
But as we do this, we do need to ensure that we work, as she has said, with international partners. We want to um, try to make sure that there is, in Syria and Iraq, that we develop a safe spaces as, uh, as uh, they re-emerge from this uh, terrorist uh, threat which has been on their streets but has also obviously affected us here and elsewhere across the world. But crucially, and we've done a lot of work in this, in helping uh, those actually in situ to be able to gain evidence that can be, uh, can be used to ensure that anybody who is involved in the horrors of attacks uh, that we see, that anybody who is involved in horrors of attacks actually can be properly brought to justice. Yeah. Henry Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On the question of the sex harassment allegations that the Prime Minister quite rightly referred to, just to put on the record, I'm happy to meet with the Prime Minister and all party leaders to discuss this. We need better protections for all in this House. This House must involve workplace trade unions in that, but it's also incumbent on all parties to have robust procedures in place to protect and support victims of sexual abuse and harassment. And I join with the Prime Minister in sending our solidarity to the people of New York and their Mayor Bill de Blasio for the appalling terrorist attack that took place yesterday. I hope, Mr Speaker, the whole House will join me in paying tribute to two former Labour colleagues who sadly passed away this week. Candy Atherton, the member for Falmouth and Camborne, and Frank Doran, the member for Aberdeen North, both did enormous good work at opposite ends of the UK to diligently represent their communities and constituencies. They will be sadly missed by all of us, particularly in the Labour Party, who they served so well for their entire lives. Mr Speaker, in 2010, the Labour government uh, intervened through HMRC to shut down an Isle of Man scheme used to import yachts into the European Union and thus avoid tax. A similar scheme has recently been exposed relating to the import of business jets into the Isle of Man. So can the Prime Minister assure the House that HMRC investigates these new allegations diligently? The, the Right Honourable Gentleman has um, made a number of references in his question and I will address all of them. On the first point, it is absolutely essential, and he is right, that we have processes, that political parties have processes to deal with allegations of misconduct. Also, that obviously we have the Ministerial Code and proper investigations are taken, take place against the Ministerial Code where that is appropriate. But I believe it is also crucial for everybody working in this Parliament, be they working for a Member of Parliament, for the House authorities or a journalist working in this Parliament, that there are proper processes in this Parliament for people to be able to report misconduct and for that to be dealt with. And I think that is very important and I'm grateful to him for saying that he will meet with me and I hope other uh, party political leaders, I see the uh, leader of the SNP is, is nodding his head at this uh, point, to look at this particular issue. Can I also join him in paying tribute to both uh, Frank, Doran and, uh, Frank Doran and Candy Atherton? Frank Doran was first elected in 1987. He served two separate terms as the MP for Aberdeen. Chaired the administration committee for five years, was a tireless campaigner for safety in the oil and gas industry. And I'm sure everybody will recall the commitment with which he served in this House and join me in offering condolences to his family and friends. And Candy Atherton, of course, was first elected in 1997 when I was first elected. Um, she served for eight years as a Member of Parliament. 
but she was a strong campaigner for women's rights and disability issues and continued to champion those causes on Cornwall Council after she had left this House. And Once again, I'm sure members across the House will join me in offering my condolences to her family and friends. The Right Honourable Gentleman talks then about uh, tax avoidance. I can assure him that uh, where cases are referred to HMRC in relation to tax avoidance, they do take those seriously, they do look into those measures seriously. We have taken action collectively as a government over the last uh, few years, since 2010 when we first came in, and we've secured almost £160 billion in additional compliance revenues since 2010 through a number of measures that we have taken to ensure that we clamp down on tax evasion and avoidance. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, 957 business jets in the Isle of Man seems a bit excessive for any island anywhere, and I hope it's investigated and due tax is collected from those people that are trying to avoid it. Because estimates of the scale of tax dodging range from £34 billion, which is around the size of our school's budget, to £119 billion, which is the size of the NHS budget. The Isle of Man VAT avoidance allegations are part of a wider leak from the Bermuda-based law firm said to be on a similar scale to the Panama Papers. Will the Prime Minister commit the HMRC to fully investigate all evidence of UK tax avoidance and evasion from this leak and prosecute where feasible? Uh, given the Right Honourable Gentleman an assurance in my first answer that HMRC does take these issues very seriously, does investigate and does take action and, where appropriate, um, tax loopholes are closed. Uh, what is important is that if we look at the record that we have, we see – I've mentioned the £160 billion in additional compliance revenue since 2010 – We've announced or implemented over 75 measures since 2010 to tackle tax avoidance and evasion. The Right Honourable Gentleman referred to one that had been in, uh, done by the Labour Government. We have been continuing to uh, act on this particular issue, so we will be raising billions of pounds more as a result of that. But I reassure him, I, I think most people would recognise that HMRC actually does rather um, want to collect tax. That's its. <laughs> That's its job, and it does look to make sure it can do so as much as possible. Enemy Corbyn! Well, Mr Speaker, it's rather strange then that um, Britain reportedly has blocked a French-led proposal which would have placed Bermuda on the European Union tax haven blacklist. Perhaps the Prime Minister could explain why that would be the case. The Panama Papers exposed many wealthy individuals and big businesses who avoided tax through offshore trusts. Labour backs any necessary changes to toughen our laws against aggressive tax avoidance. And just yesterday, Mr Speaker, just yesterday we tried to strengthen legislation on beneficial ownership of trusts with amendments we placed to the Finance Bill. Why did the Government vote against them? say to the right honourable gentleman that he raises the issue of, the British, of British overseas territories. In fact, this government has taken action in relation to those British overseas territories, action that was not taken by the previous Labour government. So this is, uh, if, he's, if he says to me that this whole question of tax evasion is something that needs to be constantly looked at and government needs to be prepared to act, then my answer is yes. 
We are, and we will. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, there's a strange kind of pattern here, because in 2015 alone... In 2015 alone, Conservative members of the European Parliament voted against five reports to introduce methods of fighting tax avoidance and evasion. And last week, HMRC admitted that multinational companies avoided paying 5.8 billion taxes in 2016. And despite this, HMRC is currently cutting another 8,000 staff. So can the Prime Minister assure the House that in the upcoming budget, instead of more cuts to HMRC, they'll get more resources to tackle the scourge of aggressive tax avoidance and evasion. I have reassured the right honourable gentleman that HMRC is acting, has been acting since this Conservative Party came into government in 2010 and will continue to act. But of course the right honourable gentleman in asking these questions might want to reflect on why it was before the dissolution of Parliament earlier this year, it was the Labour Party that stopped and refused to support tax avoidance, anti-tax avoidance and evasion measures brought forward by this government. His party stopped it. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, my question was why Conservative MPs opposed what Labour was proposing yesterday. So, Mr. Speaker, last month's European Parliament Committee of Inquiry, set up in the wake of the Panama Papers, claimed that the UK is obstructing the fight against tax dodging and money laundering. And just last week, the EU's Competition Commissioner announced an inquiry into UK taxation rules that may have institutionalised tax avoidance by multinational corporations. Isn't the Prime Minister concerned that vital revenues being lost to fund schools and hospitals? Will she change the rules in the budget? to the right honourable gentleman. We have taken an extra £160 billion pounds in, uh, in additional compliance revenues since 2010. And he says, he comments on uh, measures that were being proposed this week. As I said in my previous answer, we would have had more tax evasion, anti-tax evasion measures in place if the Labour Party had not blocked them before the last election. This party in government, this party in government has been not just acting in the UK. We have been working with the Crown dependencies, working with the British Overseas Territories, and we have been leading the world. It was a Conservative Prime Minister. It was a Conservative Prime Minister that put this on the agenda of the G7 and the G20 for international action against tax avoidance and evasion. Mr Speaker, if we, are le- if we are leading the world, perhaps she could explain how the amount of tax paid by the super-rich in income tax has fallen from £4.4 billion to £3.5 billion since 2009. Earlier this year, 
the Public Accounts Committee said the HMRC record of getting multi-millionaires to pay their taxes was, and I quote, dismal, and that the super-rich were getting help with their tax affairs that is not available to other taxpayers. Our schools' budgets are being cut. More people waiting longer for treatment. More people. We do tend to have large doses of this overexcitement every week, but I just give notice that, as usual, I'd like to get to the end of the order paper and to facilitate backbench inquiries as well. So members are eating only into their own time. I've got all the time in the world. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr. Speaker, since members opposite get so excited, I must say it again. Our schools' budgets are being cut. More people waiting longer for treatment on the National Health Service. More elderly and disabled not getting the social care they need. Does the Prime Minister think it is acceptable that when it comes to paying taxes, there's one rule for the super-rich and another for the rest of us? The top 1% of earners in this country are paying 28% of the tax burden. That, that is the highest percentage ever under any government. And once again, the right honourable gentleman is wrong. Over the next two years, £2.5 billion extra is being put into our schools as a result as a result of decisions taken by this Conservative government. But I'll tell him, I'll tell him, he talks about spending on schools and hospitals. I'll tell him where the real problem lies. Today we spend nearly £50 billion in payments on interest to those we have borrowed from as a result of the legacy of the Labour Party. is more than we spend on the NHS pay bill. It is more than we spend on our court. Order. The Prime Minister's answer will be heard. As I indicated, the question from the right honourable gentleman, the Leader of the Opposition, would be heard. And Mr Gapes, you are a senior and cerebral denizen of the House. This excessive gesticulation is not good for you, man. Calm yourself. The Prime Minister. We spend £50 billion on debt interest every year, payments to people we've borrowed from. That's more than the NHS pay bill, it's more than our schools budget, it's more than we spend on defence. That's a result of the economy we were left by the Labour Party in government. And what, what does the right honourable gentleman want to do? He wants to borrow £500 billion more would make the situation worse and mean even less money for schools and hospitals. Tim Lawton. Mr Speaker, on August 22, 2015, in my constituency, 11 men tragically lost their lives in the Shoreham Airshow disaster. Over 26 months later, no decision has been taken on criminal charges, and the coroner's inquest has been delayed again until November of next year. And the families of the victims have just had their application for exceptional case funding rejected by the legal aid agency, and they will likely be the only persons at the inquest not legally represented. Will my right honourable friend 
agree to look at this case again and to meet the families to ensure that they have proper access to justice in this exceptionally tragic case, which has a much wider public interest for safety at all yeah. airships. Yeah. Well, no, well, can I say to my honourable friend that he raises a very important issue, and I can fully understand the concerns of the families uh, at, in relation to this. He talks about the timetable um, uh, for decisions being taken. The Department of Transport has accepted the Air Accidents Investigation Branch's recommendation to commission an independent review, and there working with the Air Accidents Investigation Branch to determine the exact scope of the review. And the Civil Aviation Authority has accepted all recommendations. So there is considerable work going on to uh, learn the lessons from this disaster. But we are also obviously committed to ensuring that people who, where there is um, a, a public disaster, that people do have, are able to have proper representation. And this is an issue that I will ask the, uh, uh, the uh, Lord Chancellor to look at in relation to the question that he has raised. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I associate myself with the remarks made by the Prime Minister when she talked about the zero tolerance that there has to be for bad sexual practices and behaviour? And I certainly commit my members to work with the government to make sure that we can have a system that we can be proud of that will protect all members of the House of Parliament. Can I also pass on my condolences to the family and friends of uh, Frank Norton for his untimely and sad death this week? Mr. Speaker, can the Prime Minister tell the House how much a working single parent can expect to lose because of the rollout of universal credit? Can I first of all say to the Honourable Gentleman that uh, I'm grateful to him for agreeing that he wants to work across the House on this important issue. If I may just say to him, though, he referred to sexual misconduct. I think what is important is actually that we, this, uh, any processes are put in place don't just look at sexual misconduct but look at issues like bullying as well, because I think that is, that is uh, also important. Uh, he's raised the rollout of universal credit with me before, as he knows the reason why we've brought into uh, place the universal credit is to ensure that, when people, that people are encouraged into the workplace and when they are in the workplace they are able to keep more of the money that they earn. I believe that's an important principle. It underpins what we're doing and will continue to underpin what we're doing. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, the reality is that new research shows that working single parents could lose an average of £1,350 per year because of the cuts to work allowances. Mr Speaker, universal credit is fast becoming Theresa May's poll tax. The Prime Minister has a habit of U-turning. Will she U-turn one more time? and fix the problems with universal credit. Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, I've underlined the principle that lies behind universal credit, which I believe is a very important one. And that is why when we look at the support that is given to people, it isn't just about the support that they receive in financial terms on universal credit, it's also about the support that they receive to help them to get into the workplace, to ensure that they can actually meet the requirements of getting into the workplace, and that when they're in the workplace, they can keep more of the money that they earn. I think that is an important principle. We will continue to roll out universal credit, looking carefully at the implementation of universal credit as we do so, because we're doing this in a careful way over a period of time. But the important principle is that universal credit is a simpler system that ensures that people keep more as they earn more. Mrs Cheryl Gillan. 
Mr Speaker, in Chesham and Amersham, we are acutely aware that infrastructure is vital for economic success, particularly of other parts of the country. However, we still have areas that do not have access to high-speed broadband, and with the advent of electric vehicles, we're going to need to install an extensive charging network. Could the Prime Minister tell me what further action the Government can take to ensure the timely completion of our broadband infrastructure and what it can do to guarantee the rapid rollout of electric vehicle charging points so Buckinghamshire residents and businesses can not just bear the brunt and burden of infrastructure development but can take advantage of the opportunities offered by modern technology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my, my right honourable friend is absolutely right that we want to be able to make sure that we take the advantages that are offered by the modern technology. That's why um, these are issues that have been addressed in our industrial strategy and will continue to be addressed. And we addressed and we recognise that when we talk about infrastructure in this country, actually increasingly the IT infrastructure, the broadband infrastructure, is part of that. It isn't just the physical roads and rails infrastructure. So we are investing 790 million in improving broadband. That takes our public investment. To 1.7 billion. And we also, as she says, we are leading the world in the development of electric uh, cars, and we need to ensure that we have those vehicle charging points. So we have put in place, and we're putting in place, grants and policy measures to ensure that we see those charging points so people can take advantage of those new vehicles. Lyndon! Thank you. Um, thank you, Mr. Speaker. If the Prime Minister is serious about building a country that works for everyone, can you tell the House why under 25s are not included in the national living wage? And will she address the scandal that is a national minimum wage for apprentices of £3.50 per hour? Important that we have uh, the national living wage. It was this uh, party in government that introduced the national living wage. That has had an important impact on, uh, on people. Uh, and obviously, the national living wage continues to increase. Fiona Bruce. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join with the local government minister's positive comments this week, welping the development of some family hubs? And will she encourage our excellent Conservative mayors and councils to be champions of these hubs, which can so improve the lives of children, including the most vulnerable children, by strengthening their families? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, can, I, can I thank my honourable friend for raising this point? And I think we all recognise the value of stable and strong families. And this is an issue on which she has uh, a cause that she has championed uh, through her time in this House, but also outside of this House as well. And I'm happy to join her in welcoming the development of family hubs. And I will certainly encourage Conservative mayors and councils across the country to be champions of those hubs. Chris Law. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As the Prime Minister will be fully aware, my great city of Dundee has been repeatedly in the news last week. Dundee's launched its European Capital of Culture bid. It's now the world centre for pharmaceutical innovation, and the Wall Street Journal, no less, listed Dundee as one of the top ten places to visit on earth, making it, and I quote, Scotland's coolest city. So wouldn't it be great if the Prime Minister today can finally tell the innovative, the creative and the cool people of Dundee and the surrounding area what precisely is the UK Government's date for delivering its full and fair share of the Tay City deal? 
I, I apologise. I didn't hear the, the end of the. Uh, yeah. I think what is important to the honourable gentleman is that that and he is he stands up uh, and uh, speaks waxes lyrically about his uh, about his city of Dundee. I was, of course, he will recall, I was asked about the uh, uh, Dundee city of culture uh, bid last week and made the point that, of course, a number of places across the UK may be uh, putting in those bids. But on the creative industries, I'm pleased to see the development of the V&A uh, in uh, Dundee as well. And the Tay City deal will be an important city deal for Dundee and the uh, 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 whole Tay area, as other city deals in Scotland have been for those where those have been agreed. Stroke, Mr. Speaker. Cheltenham General's A&E is hugely valued by me and my constituents. We want to see it preserved and enhanced. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that local NHS managers who are currently formulating the draft STP must listen very carefully to the voices of my constituents and others in Gloucestershire and ensure that any proposals can truly command local support? My my honourable friend again raises an important issue because we are very clear that proposals should be uh, developed at a local level by local con- clinicians, but paying, uh, taking account of and listening to the views of local residents, of local constituents on those particular matters. I think this is important that local people are heard and can know that decisions have been taken in the light of any concerns that they, uh, that they raise. And I understand any proposals for urgent care developed by the Gloucestershire STP will in fact be subject to full public consultation in due course. I'm in Newlands. Uh, very much, Mr. Speaker. The government will today publish its first report detailing progress towards ratifying the Istanbul Convention on Violence Against Women following Ail Whiteford's Private Members Bill. Mm-hmm. After five years, hopefully, today's report signals that we won't have to wait long for ratification. However, women fleeing domestic violence don't have the luxury of time. So, just as the Prime Minister has vowed to root out the sexual harassment and misogyny in this place, will she commit to long term sustainable funding to ensure? All women have somewhere safe to go when fleeing violence. Good question. Can I say to the honourable gentleman that over the past few years, both when I was as Home Secretary and under my right honourable friend, the current Home Secretary, we have taken steps in relation to certain funding in relating to domestic violence uh, that that funding is ring fenced over a period of time. So there can be a greater certainty for organisations working in this area. There is much for us to do because, sadly, we still see domestic violence and abuse taking place. Um, what is uh, one of the other steps we're taking, of course, is to bring in new legislation in relation to domestic violence, which I hope will clarify the situation, but we need to address this across a wide variety of action. Dowden. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <clears throat> How we treat our farmed animals is an indication of our civility as a nation. And we in this country have a record in which we can be rightly proud. Does my right honourable friend therefore share my concern that there have been reports that as a result of leaving the European Union there may be a relaxation of those standards? Can she take this opportunity to reassure me that that is not the case and that in fact we will seize the opportunity to improve standards and thereby enhance the reputation of British produce? I can assure my honourable friend, first of all I can confirm with, uh, agree with him that we are proud to have some of the highest animal welfare standards in the world and we want to continue to be able to have that uh, reputation as a country where we have those high standards. So leaving the European Union is not going to change that. We remain committed to high animal welfare standards and indeed as my honourable friend says that may give us an opportunity to enhance those standards so we can further show people the reputation that this country has as somewhere 
uh, where they can be uh, safe and secure in the knowledge of the conditions in which their food has been prepared. Bridget Phillipson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that four million children in our country are growing up in poverty, and that number has risen. Two-thirds of those children are from working families. Does she still seriously believe that the introduction of universal credit will bring that number down? I'm pleased to see that the number of children in absolute poverty has actually come down under this uh, under this government. Um, but of course, but of course, of course, we need to. Uh, be aware of the impact of decisions that we have. We are looking carefully at the implementation of universal credit, but I continue and I will repeat the point that I made uh, in response to the question from the leader of the SNP, which is that the point of universal credit is more straightforward, it's a simpler system, but also, also it helps people to get into the workplace and ensures that uh, they keep more of the money that they earn, and I think that is important. Kevin Hollin-Rake. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This government's industrial strategy makes the historic commitment for a fairer distribution of infrastructure spending across the regions. This is our roads, our railways and digital networks. In advance of the white paper, would the, uh, my right honourable friend confirm this commitment and to a rebalancing of our economy by more investment spending in the regions, not least, Mr Speaker, in Yorkshire? Well, my, my honourable friend uh, stands up well for his county and for his constituency on this, uh, on this matter, but I'm very happy to confirm to him that we will maintain that commitment in our forthcoming industrial strategy white paper because we do want to see a fairer distribution of infrastructure spending across the country. That's, uh, and we want that because we know that infrastructure investment is important to unlocking economic opportunities and economic growth and uh, productivity in our towns, our villages and our cities. And we, of course, have backed this with ambitious commitments to increase our spending on infrastructure by 50% over the next four years. But I can assure him we will be looking at that infrastructure spending across the whole country. Lisa Mandy. I'd like to thank the Prime Minister for her opening words about the horrific revelations this week. But can I say to her that three years ago I brought evidence to her in this House that whips had used information about sexual abuse to demand loyalty from MPs. I brought that information to her in this House and I warned her at the time that unless real action was taken, we risked repeating those injustices again today. On three occasions, I asked her to act and on three occasions, she did not. So can I ask her, in this of all weeks, for the fourth time, Will she finally take concrete action to tackle this? I will, of course, look back at the questions that the Honourable Lady has said that she raised with me in this House. I assume assume she raised those with me when I was Home Secretary. uh, I will say to her that I am very clear that uh, the Whips Office, I hope this goes for all Whips Offices across this House, should make clear to people that uh, where there are any uh, sexual abuse allegations that could be of a criminal nature that people should go to the police. It is not appropriate for those to be dealt with by whips officers. Those should go to the police. That continues to be the case. As I say, I will look at the questions that she raised uh, with me, but I am very clear that we will take action against uh, those where there are allegations that we see and the evidence is there that there has been misconduct. But can I just say to the Honourable Lady, I hope we will all send a message from this House today 
that we want people in this place to be able to feel confident to bring forward cases and we need to ensure we need to ensure that those cases no we need to ensure that those cases are dealt with in a way that people can have confidence on both sides that they will be properly investigated that means and i want to see a good process within this parliament so that people feel they do not have to go to a party political process in order to have their allegations considered. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, my constituency of Aldershot is the home of the British Army, and home to many thousands of servicemen and women who are loyal, resolute and steadfast in their service to the Crown. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, agree when her very busy schedule allows to visit the Aldershot garrison to meet with service men and women and to thank them for their service. Well, um, I can, can I first of all assure my honourable friend that we recognise that the men and women of our armed services serve with great distinction and loyalty, and we are all grateful to them for the service that they give to this country. And uh, that's why we are committed to uh, maintaining 2% of our GDP being spent on uh, defence. He very kindly invites me to uh, visit his constituency, and I will be very happy to do so if my diary allows. Sir Vince Cable. A few days ago, the Chancellor told the House that the Government could not afford uh, to borrow £50 billion to invest in housing because of the burden on the next generation. The Community Secretary says that the Government must borrow £50 billion because of the burden on the next generation of unaffordable housing. Can she adjudicate? I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, there is no need to adjudicate on this matter. The government absolutely agrees that it is necessary for us to ensure that we are building more homes across this country. That we have already announced policies to enable that to happen. We've had the uh, number of proposals that were set out in the housing white paper. We I was very pleased to announce the extra two billion pounds for affordable housing uh, at our party conference and the extra ten billion pounds in the help to buy scheme, which genuinely helps people to get their first foot on the housing ladder. We are seeing more houses being built under this government and we will continue to see more houses being built under this government. Chris Davis. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Earlier this week, in Clangamach Wells in my constituency, a horrific farmhouse claimed the lives of a father and five young children. This has had a devastating effect, not just on the family, but on the tight-knit community that surround it. Would my right honourable friend and join me and indeed this House, in sending our sympathies to the family of the bereaved and also to the villages in the town of Tlangamach. Along with praising the outstanding work of our emergency services who have dealt with this appalling tragedy with true dedication and professionalism. Well, can I say to my honourable friend that he's raised what I know is a very tragic case, and I'm sure that everybody across this whole House will want to join with him in sending condolences to the family and friends of those affected by the fire. Um, This was indeed a terrible tragedy that took place, and as he said, it isn't just the family themselves that have been affected, but the local community as well. And I know that the emergency services did sterling work, and I'm also pleased to commend the work that they did and their bravery and professionalism in dealing with this issue. My right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Wales, has spoken to the police and they will remain in touch over the, uh, over the coming days. But once again, our emergency services do do an amazing job protecting us. We see this in so many instances. They never know when they're going to be called out to such a tragic incident. Ben Bradshaw. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> With today's news that the elect-
Electoral Commission is investigating Aaron Banks, the main uh, financial backer of Brexit, along with the significant British connections being uncovered by the American Justice Department Special Counsel Robert Mueller investigating Russian interference in the US presidential election. Will, he, will she assure me that the UK government and all its agencies are cooperating fully with the Mueller investigation or will do so if asked? Yeah. Say to the right honourable gentleman that we take very seriously issues of uh, uh, Russian intervention or Russian attempts to intervene in electoral processes or in the democratic processes of any country, and we would do so uh, for other, any other states that were involved in trying to intervene in elections. We do, of course, work closely with our United States partners, and I can assure him that as part of that relationship, we do cooperate with them when required. Jack Lepresti. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last month I was in the Kurdistan region in Iraq, and I refer the House to my declaration of members' interests. But I saw people's enthusiasm for independence and a fresh dialogue with Baghdad. The subsequent military actions against the Peshmerga by Iranian-backed militia and the Iraqi army are wholly unjust and completely unacceptable. Will the Prime Minister accept that the Peshmerga and the Kurdistan region, to whom we owe so much, both for resisting Daesh when the Iraqi army dumped their weapons and ran, and also for helping to keep our own streets safe, remain vital to our security, and can she do all she can to encourage a resolution based on full respect for the Iraqi constitution and the democratic will of the Kurdish people? Can I say to uh, my honourable friend that we are working, and it's right that we're working with our international partners in the region to defeat Daesh together with the global coalition. Uh, Daesh is losing territory. Uh, uh, the action that's being taken is having an impact on it. Its finances have been hit, its leadership is being killed, and its fighters are demoralised. But we do want to see political reconciliation in Iraq and a political settlement to the Syria conflict to deny Daesh safe space and prevent their re-emergence. He raises a particular point in relation to Iraq and to the Kurdistan region. And I, can I say to him that we have always been clear as a government that any political process towards independence should be agreed with the government of Iraq. We want to see political reconciliation in Iraq and we have been all, urging all parties to promote calm, to pursue dialogue and to take this issue forward through dialogue. Alison McGovern. An hour ago, the government published this report, The Patronising Disposition of Unaccountable Power. It's a report of Right Reverend James Jones, which the Prime Minister herself commissioned to ensure that the pain and suffering of the Hillsborough families is not repeated. But, Mr Speaker, given what we've heard in this session and given the events surrounding the Grenfell Tower disaster, I think that I worry that the pain and suffering of the Hillsborough families is already being repeated. So can the Prime Minister commit her government to supporting both a duty of candour for all public officials and, as this report requires, an end to public bodies spending limitless sums providing themselves with representation which surpasses that available to families? Obviously, the House will appreciate that, that, that I have to be careful what I say in relation to the Hillsborough issue because of the ongoing criminal proceedings, but I do want to pay tribute to the work of Bishop James Jones. Yeah, yeah. 
throughout the time, his work in chairing the independent panel, the work that he did as my advisor on this issue and working with the family forums, I think that he has done an excellent job. And once again, his report into the experiences of the Hillsborough families, which has been published today, as the Honourable Lady says, is important. And the government will need to look very carefully at the, I think it's 25 points of learning that come out of it. And we will want to do so, because I've always been very clear that the experience that the Hillsborough families had should not be repeated. That's why we are that's why we have looked and we are committed to the concept of the public advocate, because we want to ensure that people have the support that they need. Uh, and it's important that we learn the lessons from Hillsborough. I was, as she knows, involved in making the decision that enabled the Hillsborough families to have legal support uh, on, a, on a basis that I felt was fair in relation to the other parties involved in that, uh, in that inquest. And I can assure her that we will not forget the Hillsborough families who have been dignified throughout the many years that they have been waiting for justice. We will not forget them, we will not forget their experience, and we will ensure that we learn from that and learn from that to improve the experience of others in the future. Mark Francois. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Can I cheekily make another diary suggestion to the Prime Minister? (laughs) If she could remain in the chamber for just a few moments after questions, she will hear my right honourable friend for Newbury introduce his armed forces statute of limitations bill which will provide protection to those brave service personnel who served in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Like her, I too, and I'm sure the whole House, want to see the setting up of the Northern Ireland Executive. But would she agree with me, we cannot do that at the price of pandering to Sinn Féin and allowing a witch hunt for those people who served so bravely for so many years to uphold the rule of law. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to satisfy my honourable friend on the first point that he raised, but I can assure him I'm aware of the the, uh, uh, proposed legislation that my uh, right honourable friend, the member from Newbury, is bringing forward. We all want to see a Northern Ireland executive restored. We do recognise that this question of uh, legacy issues is one that has been there throughout these discussions and continues in Northern Ireland. What I want to ensure is that any investigations that take place in the future take place in a fair and proportionate way, because our soldiers did save bravely, as my honourable friend said, uh, in upholding the rule of law. Um, But what is important is that we should never forget all those people who lost their lives at the hands of the terrorists in Northern Ireland. And it is important, as I say, that any investigations are conducted fairly and proportionately. They're exercising their knee muscles, and there's no harm in that. Tracy Brabin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As the Prime Minister will be aware, self-employed people are not eligible for shared parental leave. This places the burden of childcare on the mum, denying fathers financial support and bonding time with the child. Has the Prime Minister seen the demands of the March of the Mummies and can she give us assurances that she is prioritising this very urgent issue? I'm, uh, I say to the Honourable Lady, she, raises, she does raise an important issue and I'm happy to look at the, uh, the point that has been made. But I would simply uh, also remind her of this. The reason we have shared parental leave for anybody in this country is because when I was Minister for Women and Equalities, I actually ensured that that shared parental leave was introduced. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kirsten Hare. Yeah. Thank you, 
Speaker. In my constituency of Angus, one of the big challenges as we leave the European Union is the uncertainty around the seasonal migrant workforce. Angus produces 30% of Scotland's soft fruit and welcomes over 4,000 seasonal workers every year. Would my right honourable friend agree that we need clarity on the new migration framework for the benefit of these loyal workers, for the prosperity of our British soft fruit industry and to support our overall rural economy of our United Kingdom. Well, uh, the, my honourable friend raises an important point about the importance of supporting the rural economy across the whole of the United Kingdom. Um, in relation to the seasonal agricultural workers scheme that she has uh, that she has referred to, obviously we will be, as we leave the European Union, we will be bringing forward new immigration rules, which will enable us to have that control that we haven't had uh, in the uh, past for those coming from the European Union. Um, but we are recognised. We recognise we need to do that in the national interest. We need to look at the needs of the labour market and that's why my right honourable friend the Home Secretary has commissioned the Independent Migration Advisory Committee to look at the needs of the UK uh, labour market and to uh, further inform our work as we bring those new immigration rules in and the issue she has raised is one they would look at.